Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They say green is the color of envy. For Clay Helton's embattled Trojans, it's an adage twice as meaningful, following an off-season verbally intent on duplicating Notre Dame's masterful resurrection from a losing season. Saturday night in a chilly South Bend, USC goes back on the road to meet their green-clad rivals for an all-important midterm on their progress. A win over the number nine team in the nation would go a long way in paying off the plan. A loss? Well, a loss just might cost someone their job. It's USC, it's Notre Dame, it's the 91st edition of college football's greatest intersectional rivalry. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain it what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is 5 and 7 and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 337. Coming to you on Thursday, October 10th, we are going to preview the greatest intersectional rivalry in college football, USC and Notre Dame, the Trojans, headed to South Bend on Saturday night, 4.30 p.m. on NBC. We're going to preview it. It's going to be a tough one. For USC, uh, facing the number nine Fighting Irish, I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host, Alicia Deratol. Hello, everybody. I didn't do the full intro there, did I? You did not. I got too, too, you know, jacked with the NBC. Pretty much. Pretty much. You're just uh, getting ahead of yourself, your excitement for nailing that. And you left out all the ways that people can reach us, all the things that we're on, mm-hmm. all the important stuff. All right, you, you give it to me. Let's see let's see how good you do. Go for oh. it. Oh, okay. Uh, you find us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Ooh, got them all. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansided.com. Our phone number is 213-373-1872. Ooh, look at that. Look at you remembering that number now. you are the host, Michael Castillo, joined by your co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, Michael. (laughs) How's it going? Long time no see. That's good. Yeah. 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 um, Yeah. That's an interesting start to the podcast. (laughs) Uh, We're just going to roll with it. and it's been an interesting, an interesting bye week. 
Uh, we didn't do a bi-week podcast uh, of sorts. We did one over with our friends from Traveler Hates Thursdays. So if you go li- listen to Traveler Hates Thursdays, their second most recent episode, uh, they just dropped one uh, last night, but they have another one um, from last week, from, from Saturday. Um, listen to that. It's us talking about the, the bye week and USC, kind of a mid-season report. Uh, here on Rain of Trail Radio, what we've done is we did a... Washington fallout like four days late, but um, that was up. Uh, that was a f- a fun one, and now it's time to talk about the gauntlet that is the final seven games of USC schedule. Starts with a tough one at number nine Notre Dame, and then things kind of lighten up for USC, and we'll see if the Trojans can sort of get on a run here uh, as they get down to the easier part of the schedule. But this is USC. This is a team that's three and two, a team that went five and seven last year. Is there truly an easy part of the schedule? I mean, not when you look at what's coming up uh, on my practice car cast on Wednesday. I pointed out all of the quarterback rankings that Pro Football Focus put out and the toughest quarterbacks that USC will face in terms of their measurement are coming up. You know, you, you look at Jane Daniels, you look at Ian Book, Justin Herbert, Khalil Tate. There's a lot of, of big, big challenges for USC coming up. And, and in that in that uh, CarCast episode that I on Patreon, I talked a little bit about how, you know, based on those numbers, you can't guarantee a win against Colorado on the road. You can't guarantee right. a win against Arizona with Khalil Tate well, playing Well, I mean, like we're going like to that is. game, so it's a definite loss for it's USC. It's a definite, I mean, yeah. mark that as a loss. Absolutely. If you want to make some money, go put some money on Colorado right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's a rot trip, so yep. guaranteed loss. Guaranteed, absolutely. Take it to the bank, um, for sure. Uh, I have issues with the Pro Football Focus rankings. Keaton Slovis and Matt Fink together combined to to, to rank at 95th in the country uh, as USC starting quarterback. I have issues with it, mostly because they rank Matt Fink everything they've written about Matt Fink is makes him better than Keaton Slovis. And to me, it, it's all pseudoscience. I, I don't get it. Uh, well, it's, it, I, I, I mean, watched I'll, the Stanford I'll... game and I watched the Utah game and one was great quarterback play. And one was, was great receiving play by the wide receivers who took advantage of a quarterback, giving them an opportunity that but doesn't I'll necessarily defend, make a great quarterback play. But I'll defend PFF here. They are hamstrung by their numbers, by their formulas. And sure. what PFF likes about Matt Fink is that he had a bunch of big explosive plays. And, he and was why really, did he have really... those explosive well, plays, Well, but Alicia? again, these are, ju- these, are, these are the raw numbers. This is why you can't just take stats on their own. You have to take stats, but, like, combine the them with the eye test. But isn't that the point of pro football focus, that, that they're grading these players on the eye test? No, because they're grading them on on a certain set. They're they're not grading the quality of each pass. They don't have some sort of like this was a a, a C pass or a B I pass thought that's or whatever. What Pro Football Focus was for no, they because were, I thought they were scouting people and that they were supposed to be you know be a, an accurate using, assessment that way. But they're using a a formula to a, a rubric, you might say, to well, put the together those rankings. Trash. And what, but, but okay, so fine. If you want to, if, if, if you're going to get micromanaging down to that formula, how, you know, what, how are you going to rate 
Matt Fink's 50-50 balls, when you have to give him credit for putting them up there, for putting him in a, in a place where his receivers could get them, that's how Jan- Johnny Manziel made his money, or not money. Uh, you know, and everyone everyone says Johnny Manziel is the, the, was this great college quarterback, but it really helped having Michael, um, what was it, Mike Evans or, or whatever his name was. Yeah, uh, Mike Evans. Th- th- that was out there making those tough grabs. Can, you know, are we going to go back and gr- and regrade Sam Darnold's performances because he was throwing Juju Smith-Schuster and Darius Rogers making great I catches? Get, I like, get what you're those saying. Those are things yes. that we see yes. as eye tests, but what... what PFF, what uh, all of the the advanced stats kinds of things are, are are looking at is they are limited by their scope, and their scope is only so far into the into the uh, the opinion of of something. So you have to take it for what it's worth. You have to understand what it's worth. Like you know, we're gonna have a long conversation sure. about Ian Book coming up right now. PFF has Ian Book ranked very very high. Give him a ton of credit for the way that he performed against Georgia. But I'm about to go rip into Ian Book's performances in games against bad defenses and good defenses, you know? Like, these kinds of things we can, you can nitpick and you can decide one way or the other. But the stat said that Matt Fink's performance against Utah was incredible because the raw numbers of what he did was incredible. I don't know. Well, then maybe I, the formula is wrong. I'm just saying. Or maybe the formula is flawed because all formulas are flawed. Nothing sure. is things sure. don't fit into perfect, nice little boxes. For sure, I, I I just maybe I'm crazy to put Pro Football Focus's standard a little bit higher because I thought it was going to be more, you know, I don't know. I I, I thought it was more scouting. Maybe than you're anything. judging Matt Fink too harshly for what he did in that game as as fifty. Maybe 50 I'm balls. just all I'm saying, and I, I don't care that either one of them is ranked ninety fifth in the country. That, that's not what I'm arguing. Well, I care that both of them are ranked ninety fifth in the well, country. It's, it's not a USC. good look. Sure, that's it's bad very for USC. very that, bad. USC should not have a quarterback ranked not, three right. spots away from Jorge freaking Reina. I, I I agree with you. I, I'm saying that that's not where my beef is. My beef is the idea that Slovis's game against Stanford was worse or, or not as good as Matt Fink's against Utah. That is just mind-boggling crazy to me. I just I I I don't even understand how the numbers don't pan that out. Like I I don't I don't get it. It makes because, no sense because the numbers were efficient for Keaton in that game. Yeah, he was really damn efficient. Yeah. How do those numbers not bear out? But they don't celebrate efficiency in the same way as they well, celebrate the I'm big... I'm sorry. I value efficiency. Also, Utah's a better defense than Stanford. Okay. I'll give you that, but I'm just... I just think it's a pointless <laughs> hill to die on. They're, they both have had a really good game and a really bad game. And oh, for sure. 100%. Where, where, I, I would have, where I would take offense with Pro Football Focus is that Fink's bad game was significantly worse than Slovis's bad game. Granted, yes. Yes. Fink's bad game came came against a better defense than Slovis's, but th- it was significantly worse than what Keaton right. did. Yeah, and like I wrote on redditroy.com, like for everything that Slovis struggled in that BYU game with, he still led a, you know, a big touchdown drive in the fourth quarter with a touchdown pass to to Michael Pittman. Like for all of his critiques, that was a big deal for him, I think. Uh, and Matt Fink didn't give USC anything in the fourth quarter except a pick and a drive that ended at the four-yard line. Yeah, but comparing these performances to me is... Uh, I don't know it's where it gets It's bad to us. bad. I, I know. I get it. I get it. 
I get it. Anyways, let's talk about things that are good. Like, apparently us, because we've gotten new reviews. Uh, let's be super self-centered and self-congratulatory and read these things. Uh, we got one from DCR07 who says, Great job. Keep it coming. I've listened to this podcast for years and I continue to enjoy every episode. The quality of the show is exceptional. I love the passion of this show. And I feel like the conversations here are some that I would have with some buds over suds. Thank you, five stars. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the, I mean, again, I, we always say this when people say this in our reviews, but it bears repeating. That is precisely what we are going for. And so if we're hitting the mark in that regard, then I am very, very happy to hear it. Yeah, buds over suds. That's us, very much. I would hope. Is that is that um, uh, on a scale of bros over hoes? I'm just going to go to the next one. <laughs> 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 oh dear <laughs> this episode is already off the rails i don't know where you were going but i'm just gonna go down to the next either. i'm glad it was you having a flub and not me this time that's great i don't know if it was a flub but i mean it was funny it was great it was beautiful yeah. i'll give you that uh thought weiler says uh gave us five stars fun and informative i always look forward to the podcast drops from michael and alicia they have a great mix of expertise and personality they are the epitome of hyperbole. We still need an epitome of hyperbole shirt. Yep, we do. We do. Whoever makes the shirt should get on that. They really should. I know. Indeed. I'm just saying. Whoever that is. Uh, next one uh, comes from uh, MG's Raiders. This coach needs to go five stars. And this is not a review. This is a question for the podcast. But sure, we'll take the five-star review. Uh, Michael, at least, is there any idea why this fo football team of the last few years seems like they have no heart or soul? Is Clay Helton to blame for this, asking for a friend? Also, do you think Urban Meyer can improve? The lack of tackling and lack of exciting offense. Thank you, Mario in Tucson. Thanks, Mario in Tucson. Uh, <laughs> we are very happy to to get the questions, but uh, next time, you know, don't don't waste your review. Go go shoot us an email at Rainatroy at fansided. Wasting a review, we'll take every review we po no, possibly can No, we'll take the review, get. but like, okay, next year when, or two years from now, whenever when it's a, a new coach, then the review won't, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be a little bit dated. Yeah, but then Either. maybe he can come in and change Clay Helton's name to Hugh Jackson or Jeff Fisher, oh, and it'll, it'll still Lord. work. All right, are we are we answering this question now, or are we saving it for the mailbag? Let's save later? it for the for the end. We'll, we'll save okay. it for the end for the mailbag. We'll just have to remember to come back up here. So okay, I <laughs> come leave back that up to here you. in our like seven page rundown that we've put together for this episode. Um, if you're on Slack, we'll we'll put it in a PDF and upload it there. Uh, you can see all how crazy this long rundown is. Um, anyways. Uh, let's get into this episode, but before we do that, I mentioned Slack. If you want to join our Slack, you can head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. You can get our bon all of our bonus episodes, all of our bonus podcasts, help support the show, and for 10 bucks a month, you get to join our Slack channel. We are going to be in our Slack channel talking about the game on Saturday night. Uh, it is the first game that you and I are going to watch together in the same place, feet apart, since the Texas game last year, which probably does not bode well. <laughs> but like all told, it's only like the, the fourth time we've ever watched a game together. Oh, I was going to say, is this going to be the first time that we're watching a game together on TV? No, it's not. We we to, went to, to a bar that one time to watch. Did we go to uh, You want me to Shreddy's? rattle off all these things because my memory's weird? 
Uh, we we went to a bar. We we went to Traddy's. We was that the Oregon in State tw- game? 2013 Oregon State with our friend Matthew Moreno from uh, DodgerBlue.com. Go read his stuff. Uh, I hear that the Dodgers had an important game last night. Ah, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> you Just hate to see it, Michael. Go read you Matthew Moreno's stuff. He, he he's awesome. Love him. Read all of his stuff. But we went. Uh, all three of us went to Traddy's and had that weird that weird episode at Traddy's, which is bizarre. Uh, that's a story for another day. Uh, and then we had a couple of uh, watches at your place. The Cal game in 2015, the Arizona game with the 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 oh yeah the icing the kicker in 2014. Remember that? And then yeah. um what else did we do? Uh uh the the Rose Bowl and the the Rose Bowl we sat next to each other in the in the press box and then the Texas game sat next to each other in the press box? Yeah, but I'm talking like in front of a TV cuz you know, it's been it's now yeah. been several several years. Several years. Several years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so this will be fun. Yeah. We'll grill the, up some the food. The point being and, that and we're both going to have computers in front of us and going to be able to yes. engage fully in the Slack on channel the Slack, unlike on the Slack, yes. Yeah, I'm like yes. normal where I'm on the field trying to connect on my phone and it's not working very well. So y'all are going to get to, at least our Slack our Slack crew is going to get some full-blown Alicia commentary during the game. So if you want to check that out, go ahead and join the- Brace yourself. Join, join the Rat Crew on Patreon. Yeah, um, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. For 10 bucks, you get to join the Slack channel. If you don't want to join the Slack channel, that's cool too. You can get all of our bonus episodes and still support the show for five fifty five a month. Helping support the show helps us do things like go to Colorado later this month and, you know, guarantee USC that loss. Uh, so definitely you want to support th- support us. Absolutely. What are we doing? You're, this is a terrible welcome. start to the episode. <laughs> ah, people love it. It's, it's, it's too late to go back now, Michael. I know. I know. Let's roll just, with it. Let's get into the news. We'll be right back. Alicia, we have good news if you're a USC fan listening to this, which you probably are. Keaton Slovis is back. He's going to start at quarterback for USC. Talanoa Hufanga is back. He's going to start at safety for USC. And Elijah Griffin is back practicing with hopes of getting him out there as well at cornerback. That is all good news for USC going on the road to play number nine Notre Dame. Yeah, it's a very different circumstance. You can't help but draw parallels between... Uh, the state of USC going into the game in 2017 and the potential of a 2017 uh, uh, you know rehash. But this time around, you know, that team in 2017 was devastated by injury, particularly on the defensive line. Um, just all over the field, things were a problem for USC. This time around, USC, the bye week really helps. They're, they're actually getting healthy. They actually feel very healthy. And there are still the usual suspects who are out and not practicing, but for the most part, the the key starters that USC was missing against Washington are all back. Uh, the only players who ha- have been featured uh, for USC in you know the start of the season that you won't be seeing uh, against Notre Dame are Josh Follow, who is out with a with a, a knee injury, so expecting to see Jude Wolf get to get to have his debut, and. Um, and and it looks like Andrew Voorhees will also be not be available, but that's been you know no, nothing new as far as Voorhees. So as 
When it comes to the strength of the health of this USC team, they're in about as good a position as they've been pretty much all season. Yeah, you cannot play the excuse card uh, about a Notre Dame loss this time uh, due to injury because USC is pretty darn healthy. Uh, Clay Helton is going to have as healthy of a team as he possibly could at this point, uh, and the Trojans are going to have to make good on that uh, and prove that they've improved themselves from the Washington loss, from the BYU loss. Uh, it's yet another road game. Trojans haven't won a road game in like 11 months, even though in football terms it's not that long <laughs> since. Uh, it's the Oregon State game. It's like, what, three straight losses? That's not that much. It seems like longer. It's enough. Does Oregon State count? I don't know. Maybe I don't it count, count Oregon State. I, I honestly don't count that Oregon State win last year. So since Arizona last since year. Since Arizona. And even that Arizona game. That's over a calendar year. N- neither of those two wins for USC on the road last year were particularly impressive, I will say. Correct. Correct. Like it's bad, bad, When was bad the last impressive teams. road win for USC? UW. Unless you count the Rose Bowl. But but even outside of that, was there anything in 2017 that you would you would deem? Well, I guess no, the, the, the Pac-12 the championship Pac-12 title game. game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, all right, let's get into the preview portion of this episode, where we're going to preview the game USC and Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish come into this game ranked number nine in the country. They are 13th in SP plus with a record of four and one. 13 returning starters, seven on offense. Six on defense are led by Ian Book at quarterback, Tony Jones Jr. at running back. They have two fantastic defensive ends, uh, Khalid Kareem and Julian Okwara. Those are two guys that Clay Helton isolated in his presser on Tuesday, and for good reason. Uh, They have a combined nine tackles for loss and six and a half sacks with a couple of forced fumbles, both of them coming from Okwara. This is a team that has a very good defense. Uh, This is a team that has an offense that is pretty darn efficient. Uh, Their schedule has also been rather peculiar. You you can't say they haven't played anyone because they played Georgia on the road in Athens. But if you look at what Notre Dame has done this year, uh, their four wins have been over teams ranked 40th, 62nd, 119th, and 130th in SP+. 40th and 62nd, that's pretty normal. But 119th and 130th, is New Mexico and Bowling Green, uh, two teams they beat by a combined score of 118 to 14. Which is, that's what you're supposed to do to those teams. I think you give them absolute credit. Would SC beat those teams 118 to 14? Probably not. Definitely not. But but you sort of get at the heart of the issue with evaluating Notre Dame is they've beaten down the bad teams that they've played, but their best game of the season so far is a loss to Georgia. Like their most right. impressive game is playing Georgia as close as they did. And and in the grand scheme of things, they played Georgia as close as USC played UW. Right. And if you look at Georgia's schedule, Georgia's schedule is pretty similar. The the only thing that validates Georgia, Georgia Georgia's blown out a bunch of bad teams too. The only thing that has validated Georgia is their win over Notre Dame. But the only thing that validates Notre Dame is their loss to Georgia. Both of these teams, I think we expect to be very good teams. Both of them we consider top 10 teams. We're not denying that they, they should be top 10 teams or whatnot. But I, I think that Notre Dame's not infallible. I, so this is the point I'm going to make right now. I, I think that Notre Dame and Washington, I kind of put in the same boat 
of where USC finds them. The difference being that Notre Dame is a team that I think has a little bit better reputation at this point, especially given what happened uh, last week after after SC played Washington with, with the Huskies losing on the road. But it, it's interesting because I, I expected, before I did all this research on this game, uh, and you've done a bunch of research and everything, and because it's your alma mater, um, but <laughs> when you look at this game as we're expecting to sit here and say that there's no football reason for USC to win this game. But I can't. I I can't say that right now, which seems insane given how poorly USC has played on the road, given how poorly SC has played in those two losses, both on the road. It seems insane to say that they have no chance. But yet, here we are. You and I have talked all week. Like, there's this weird chance that SC has in this game, and I don't... Like, the line is 11 points. Why are we buying into this potential that SC could potentially win this game? It makes no sense. Well, I think the problem is that when you evaluate Notre Dame, you see a lot of vulnerabilities. So when you look at it, you say, take USC out of it. If I was evaluating Notre Dame against anybody that's on their schedule, I would sit back and say, well, a team that plays well can beat them. Um, you know, you you don't have to be Georgia to beat Notre Dame. And that's because they their run defense is suspect at times. Um, their quarterback hasn't really lit up the, the world against anybody that isn't ranked, you know, at the bottom tier of of uh, defenses in the country. Um, Notre Dame is is I, I think the Washington comparison is absolutely the one that works because what Washington has done over the years is they've beaten the teams they should beat, but you always go into that big game that Washington plays and you're skeptical because they're Washington and you're just like, you're not sure they're all that great. They're good, but you're not sure they're great. And I think that's Notre Dame's problem is they're good, but they're not great. And I wouldn't favor them against any elite team nationally. This is where it gets tricky because USC has some elite talent, but they are not an elite team. Right. So then you look at it from the perspective of could USC, could a team with USC's talent beat Notre Dame? Absolutely. But USC is not an elite team. So when we compare, you know, the the bad teams that Notre Dame is taking care of business against, USC might fit into that mold of being a bad team. Like USC might be Virginia uh, in, in, right. in, in the same way of their sort of a fringe, maybe they're ranked, maybe they're not kind of team that's not, you know, that, that, that you can't necessarily rely on. And so that's Virginia's ranked having... 40th in the country in SP Plus. Which and is... USC's in the 30s? Yeah, SC's right. Yeah. It fits that same mold. and. Virginia gave up eight sacks, and if there's anything we know, that SC is definitely potentially able to give up eight sacks. Well, are they, though? Because USC's sacks, no, sack numbers have been... USC's sack numbers are like USC's um, third down numbers, where they look awful, but then when you look at the numbers, you realize like they're actually well, pretty good see, on third downs, and they're actually... It, it they're, looks- looks awful on the eye test and then you look at the numbers and the numbers aren't that bad sure yeah I, i'm just talking about the off- I, i'm i'm just going to the if the notre basic dame can notion- get eight sacks then their defensive line can absolutely destroy usc's offensive line which yeah, is what i'm just talking, talking about, about offensive line play in general yeah yes yes which is why i mean th- this is why i have such a hard time with this too because the biggest reason to not pick usc in this game is that it's in south bend it is just merely that you cannot if we're putting out the equation 
that Notre Dame is has some vulnerabilities and that a team of USC's caliber in terms of the talent department could go toe-to-toe with them and beat them, you throw all of that out the window when you remember that USC is awful on the road, god-awful. They find way to lo- ways to lose on the road. So if you're banking on the possibility of a good USC performance winning this game, you're a, you're a crazy person if you think that you're going to get a good performance out of USC because they're on the road and that just simply does not happen. They cannot live right. on that UW performance uh, forever. And the, the fact of the matter is that every other road game since them, true road game since them, then has been god awful. Like, god awful. So that's those are the factors that are that are in play and we're gonna have i think you and i you know now that we've put that out there um you and i are gonna have a discussion about notre dame where we frame it as though usc really really has a chance in this game but i want to keep coming back to this is not the circumstances in which you trust usc right yeah i've created some bullet points here uh and i want to go through this uh, talking about the case for USC, the case for USC to win this game. And like you said, the, every you can make the case, and I think that we're going to make the case, and I think that you can completely buy into the idea of Notre Dame losing this game. I don't necessarily know that you can come away with SC being able to win it based on everything we've talked about. Because everything you say, oh, well, then this could happen, it comes back to, yeah, but USC's offensive line. Look, Look at what they did. Oh, yeah, but, you know, Slovis struggled against BYU on the road. Oh, but, but yeah, but, you know, the, the defense can't set an edge. Like, everything comes back to those things. And until those things get fixed, USC's not going to win this game. But here's the case. Let's talk about it. Uh, first of all, Notre Dame's offense. Uh, as good as they are, their numbers are kind of flawed in the sense that, you know, a lot of it comes against the worst team in the nation. Bowling Green, in which they scored 66 points. Uh, Notre Dame is only averaging 29 points per game against Power 5 opponents. Alicia, 29 points per game against Power 5 opponents. What does that mean? That sounds like USC. <laughs> it sounds like USC's defense. Yeah. SC's defense is going to give up a maximum of 29 points. That's what USC's defense does. They play right into the hand of what USC's defense is. That's a check mark in USC's favor that you can hold Notre Dame to four touchdowns or less, right? Uh, next thing, let's talk about Notre Dame's front. Uh, we, we've mentioned how good Kareem and Aquara is, both defensive ends. Both of them are fantastic in their own right, but Notre Dame's front line has been a little bit, you know, they're, they're not invincible. They're 63rd in line yards, 96th in opportunity rate at 50.3% which means that opposing teams are gaining at least five yards on 50.3 of their rushes. Notre Dame's front is like the mirror image of USC's offensive line. A little bit, Where it sounds like it's very feast or famine. 100%. uh, Passing down line yards, 119th. Which is good for USC in the sense that if, if... if USC is going to be in, you know, you don't want want to be in passing downs. Passing downs are things like second and long and third and long and whatnot. You don't want to be in those situations. But if you are, you know that they're susceptible on the ground, which is going to open up potentially opportunities through the air, potentially, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, 26th in standard down line yards. Uh, but let's talk about this. Louisville rushed for 249 rushing yards. 
New Mexico rushed for 212. New Mexico, the 119th team in the country, according to SP+, rushed for 212 yards against Notre Dame. Uh, They had seven runs of 10 yards or more. Notre Dame has given up 30 rushes of 10 yards or more, which ranks 93rd in the nation. 93rd. New Mexico had touchdowns of 47 and 37 yards. Which very much plays into USC's hands because that's what USC's running game uh, has proven capable of doing. That's what they did against Washington. Just ripping off a 30-yard run. Right. And a 65-yard. or no, Yeah. A 60 and a 35. That's what it was. Uh, and then, you know, the caveat here is Virginia only rushed for four yards against Notre Dame, but uh, most of that was sack yardage. Uh, again, Notre Dame had eight, eight sacks. sacks for 55 yards against Virginia. Uh, Virginia only rushed for 59 yards if you take out the sacks on 21 carries, but their season average is only 3.41 yards per carry, which is 110th in, in football, uh, and that's pretty much what they've done in every game. So I feel like that says more about Virginia than it does about Notre Dame. Well, it was certainly a game that Notre Dame's defensive front dominated in For the sure. pass and the run. So, uh, again, that's one of those things where, like, they could do that to USC. It's not like USC's offensive line is impervious, but that's also a, a very clear case of a game in which an offensive line absolutely fell flat on its face. And it doesn't and it doesn't speak for Notre Dame's overall performances uh, up front. Yeah, in, it, it was, in, in you know season. what it was? It was Notre Dame taking advantage of a situation that they needed to, which they deserve yes. plenty of credit for. Like, like we talked about, Notre Dame has blown out bad teams. That's what you're supposed to do if you're a good team. So this is not a critique against Notre Dame. Uh, let's talk about the next thing here. Uh, Notre Dame deploys a 4-3 defense. Uh, so they're not going to be able to drop eight defenders in coverage like BYU and Washington did. Theoretically, that should lead to more passing lanes for Keaton Slovis. That seems like a good thing, right? And when you look at the passing performances from the Power 5 quarterbacks that, that Notre Dame has, has faced, guys have been able to do things. Jake Fromm, uh, 20 of 26, he had a 150 passer rating with a touchdown, no picks. Bryce Perkins from Virginia, 30 of 43, 334 yards through the air, two touchdowns, a couple of picks, a passer rating of 141. Uh, Jawan Pass from Louisville, only, only threw for 135 yards, didn't have a touchdown, didn't have a pick. Really bad quarterback rating, but he also rushed for 95 yards. It's not like Notre Dame is infallible. That's the point here. Yeah, well, they, they've given up. Um, they've they've had their vulnerabilities. And like I mentioned, you know, when you look at Ian Book, Ian Book ranks 25th in that pro football focus uh, ranking that we talked about. But you break down his numbers and, you know, he's feasted on some really bad defenses. Uh, Louisville, New Mexico and Bowling Green rank 86th, 127th and 130th. This is out of 130 teams, guys. In S&P, in SP plus defense, um, in those games, Ian Book had 67% completions, 814 yards, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions, a passer rating average of 20 of 225.02. That's really, really good. Uh, but against the two teams that rank in the top 25 in SP plus defense, Georgia and Virginia that he faced, he threw for 440 yards combined with two touchdowns, two interceptions, and a passer rating of 119.91. Now, that's not awful. That's not awful, but it's not like he was lighting up those defenses. Now, you don't expect him to light up Georgia, 
But what he did against Virginia was pretty pedestrian. Uh, he, he didn't have a touchdown or an interception. So it was sort of middle of the road. But the fact is that he's not somebody who is, again, infallible. He's not somebody who is going to absolutely destroy you. And it feels a little bit like he's Jacob Eason. You know, we talked about Jacob Eason. And when it came down to it, USC did a pretty good job against Jacob Eason. They didn't lose that game because Jacob Eason was lighting them up in any particular way. They lost that game because Notre Dame's uh, oh, USC's Hold on, are you defense, saying that SC's defense put in a decent performance? They lost that game because USC's defense is who we thought they were, and they gave up 24 uh, okay. points. This is no this is no surprise. 28 points. This is no surprise. Uh they lost that game because USC's offense didn't put up the 30 points that they needed. Um and that's and that's ultimately what it comes down to too in this game, right? Um I think it is based on all of those things that we've talked about. Notre Dame's offense I don't think is guaranteed to put up more than 30 points in this game. In fact, like you've said, Michael, this they that offense plays perfectly into USC's hands on defense in the sense that they're probably going to hold them between 21 and 28 points. That much we can bank on for sure. Right. The big, 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 big question mark that everything How does comes, SC get to 30? How does SC get to 30? Exactly. And USC has the receivers to get to 30, but the the, the one thing that you highlighted there is the, the, the 4-3 defense that Notre Dame runs um, and how they won't necessarily be able to drop eight defenders. But this is the question is, how much of a leaf does Notre Dame take out of the BYU and UW uh, playbook, and how much do they adjust their defense accordingly? Do they go to right. a three-man front? Are they capable of going to a three-man front? Do they drop seven? Um, do do they do they leave an open box the way that Washington did the whole game, even if it's just six in the box? If it's six in the box, USC should still be running at that. Um, do they do they go? Uh, sort of nickel. Do they do they throw those different looks at USC and say, screw it, run on us. We're still just going to stop your passing game, which is what has worked for other defenses. Or do they do their own thing? Do they say we're going to do us and, and us is so four three and we're going to, you know, try to try to stop the run because a lot of defensive coordinators see that as the number one thing. And USC has proven that they can rush for 200 yards like they did against UW. And then maybe maybe put the game in, in the freshman's hands, the freshman who performed really poorly in the last game where um, where he was on the road. So it, it will be very interesting to see how Notre Dame's defense plays this. But this is my big question is if they do go the, the BYU UW route, which I think would be the smart way to do it for, if I were them. Um, will USC call their bluff? This is something I called about with with the, the Washington game over and over and over again. The BYU game was a problem because USC ran the ball 40 some odd times, but they were so beaten up front with the the uh, Nealon versus Tonga matchup that it sort of screwed everything up. And USC's offensive line's inability to be consistent is a real, real problem for this strategy. But if Notre Dame goes into that, we're going to defend the pass look, then USC has to be able to call their bluff and just say, screw it, we're going to run down your throats. And that's, I don't care if that's the number of carries that they have or just the mindset that they go into where we're going to give our offensive line the best possible chance to succeed here by telling them straight up, you're just going to run straight ahead and have no frills and whistles and force Notre Dame to adjust to you. But if I'm Notre Dame, I go into, I, I do the UW thing because I don't think USC is bold enough to do the plan that I, that I just put out there. I don't think USC is bold enough to sit back and say, screw the air raid, we're going to be a ground raid. Try to and and until you take 
pains to stop us on the ground, then we're just going to keep going to that. I don't think USC is bold enough to do that. I don't think USC is actually innovative enough to do that. I don't think that USC wants any part of that. So USC's offense might play in Notre Dame's hands too. Well, that's the problem is that, you know, I would agree that that is absolutely what you should do if you're more successful. And I think that, that when SC has not been repeatedly successful against the run, it makes it easy to sit here and... Because I choose not to run! To sit here and allow me to press that button, right? Because right, but we're having a conversation about who's, whose hands do you want this game in? The hands right. of the you, true freshman quarterback on the road in hostile territory or in the hands of Stephen Carvai, Malapai, and Marquis Step. I know which one I choose. I think I, if I'm USC, if I'm this offense with this, these receivers, I want the hands in the quarterback's hands. I want the game I in the quarterback's hands. Because but, you know what's lost but, USC but games so far this year? Interceptions. Yeah, but but here's the thing. Why did those interceptions happen? Because they were throwing into coverage, which is why I think that you run the football to open up the pass, which is the reverse right. of how the offense should work. The offense should work that you pass to open up the run, just like we saw against Stanford. But I, I think that what I'm talking about, and I think we can agree on this, is that if you run the ball early and establish that, you force Notre Dame to keep guys in the box, which is going to open up passing lanes and allow you to go back yes. to your quarterback That's all I'm saying. and your receivers, and you let your receivers win this game. I'm not saying that you run into eight-man boxes. I'm saying you force Notre Dame to show you eight-man boxes. And until right. they do, you keep running. Well, I don't know if they're going to give you eight. They might give you seven. Well, but if you're running and running and running and running, eventually they're going to have to adjust. Maybe maybe it's... But USC hasn't seen a seven-man box in four weeks. So, you know, force them. Even even down at the goal line, UW, the most they ever put in the box was six. Like, that's a that's a problem. I would love... I would love to see USC come out, and if Notre Dame shows them a light box on the first drive, I would love one of those Stanford 2017 drives where it's it's eight runs out of ten plays. I would love that, because that would really set the tone for USC. But I don't trust them to do it. it. It would, but at the same point, I think that what you also need to do is allow your freshman quarterback to get into rhythm early. Especially coming off of an injury. So that makes it difficult there. But, I mean, this is an ideal world where you'd like to do both things. The, I just right? don't want this game in the hands of the freshman quarterback. I, I think that they like Keaton, and I get it, but that's the last thing I want to see. Act like you have a true freshman quarterback for once. What, what, but I think that if you if you are able to run the ball and establish the run, you're yeah. able to make things easier that way and then be able to go back into your air raid, which is... Which is what I, I think USC would be would love to do if they're able to get some push up front. They just haven't been able to get some push up front uh, in the last three games, and that's why you've seen such well, no, a pass focused offense. The problem is, is that they. Uh, I I know you're going to tell me that it's like they ran the ball very well against Washington. Mm. They yeah, really I, did. They yes, they have the normal breakdowns. It's a pain in the butt. I get that, but they ran the ball very well against Washington, and they for, should for have stretches because they in were the facing five men for stretches in the no, second. No, throughout. What they uh, do is throughout. This, that is not true. Th- throughout. Go back and watch the first half. I literally tweeted you the run chart, Michael. It was we were sitting there watching the game together. Yes, yes, yes. They rarely the had two runs that were unsuccessful in a row. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> 
So if you stick with it, USC's problem is so it rarely one had bad two run. runs that were unsuccessful. How about having zero runs that were unsuccessful in a row? Like no, show but, more so, okay, consistency. But what you're asking is is I'm not asking for complete them to be dominance perfect. and perfection. No, no, no. When no, no, when, no, that's when not the what I'm when the offense for. when they when you have an incompletion, you don't uh, suddenly stop throwing the ball because you have one incompletion. Right. I get you need that. To, but but like, the running game would be much better served if they just said, screw it, we're going to run. But because they're gun shy about it and one bad run says, oh, well, that's it. Yet when they pass, they, you know, that, you know, batted passes near interceptions. Let's keep passing it, guys. Like, come on. But I think it's really easy to not run when your guys are getting blown up on slow developing plays, which goes back into play calling again. Well, because... stop with the slow developing plays. Why do you think yes, Mar- this? Right. I'm buying Agreed. in fully to this idea that Marquis Step is the is looks like the best runner in the, on this team because they don't mess around with the outside runs with him. Right. Yeah. Which is maybe that's the plan, right? Like take it away the, the slow developing plays because the offensive line. And, you know, Eric Kromenhoek cannot handle it. And I feel bad for Eric Kromenhoek because he's put in a position in which he can't win when he's in the H back and has to go from the left side to the right side. When he's on the same side, it works. Just yeah. So keep doing that. Yeah. Keep it simple. That's all. That's literally <laughs> all I'm saying. If you keep it simple, you will give yourself a chance to win this game. But USC doesn't like to keep. That's what I, my hope for the air raid was that they would just simplify everything. And simple hasn't been what I think we've seen. Sim- simplified things just not in the way that people wanted it to be simple so uh, take a quick break we'll come back and do over under we're right back so you're going over I'm feeling bold give me that over I go under I gotta take an under here I got three unders to take I'm gonna do an under here all right, Alicia, I come in with a lead, a 19 and 14 record. You are at 18 and 15, a huge lead for me, one game. But one game is big, important in this thing. Uh, let's go to your first over-under. What is it? My first over-under comes back to what we just talked about with Ian Book. That is passer rating. So the over-under is 129.5, and that is Ian Book's passer rating. Um, USC has given up. Two passer ratings above 140 so far this year. That was against BYU and Utah. Uh, But the other three games, they've held the opposing quarterback under 120. That was against Fresno State, Stanford, and Washington. So Ian Book has kind of had a similar uh, run where he has had, you know, the 225 uh, passer rating against the bad defenses, but under 120, 119 against the good defenses. So will USC be the good defense or the bad defense? Ah, this is super tough. Uh, I'd like to say Hufanga makes a difference, but uh, I don't know that Hufanga makes a difference necessarily in the passing game when you look at what happened uh, against Washington and what happened against... This is hilarious because I'm watching you write in my answer before I even say it. Uh, yeah, is that, Am I over. wrong? No, you're not. I'm taking the <laughs> over. Uh, I'm taking the over because I, I think that the Ian Book has a passer rating that's over 129 and a half. It n- won't necessarily be super high, but I th- I see it in the 130s. Let's let's say that. Yeah, I'm I'm I've got some faith in USC's defense. I think I'm going under, I'm going under on this, um, right. because I think that USC can do to Ian Book what they did to Jacob Eason, which is he still has a which I think is absolutely what you want to do, right? Yeah, yeah. I I I just see you know. Notre Dame has been very explosive. They're like sixth in the country in 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 passes that are twenty yards or more. 
Uh, I see, you know, Ian Book having some success in that sense a little bit, even though SC held Jacob Eason down to that. They only had, what, two passes, more than 20 yards. Well, and I so, really like USC's corners. Like, I really like the way USC's so corners are so playing right now. Yeah, I, SC's defense is so weird because I like the secondary. I like the defensive line. Uh, I think the most talented player on the field is Palier Naoteote at linebacker, but the linebackers are the weakness right now. Mm-hmm. And the linebackers you know, and the nickelback. No, no, nothing against Greg right. Johnson. I think they put the nickelback in really, really difficult situations. But those are the vulnerabilities for this team so far. Right. Yeah. For sure. And to to sit here and say that the corners have been you know impressive for what they are, I think is a testament to uh, to to what the, to the talent that USC has at, at at corner. That's what helps with you get four and five star corners, isn't it? And kind of a good thing uh, for USC in that sense. Maybe they should recruit more. Maybe. Uh, let's go to my first over under four and a half rushes of 10 plus yards for USC. Uh, the Trojans have only had 18 in the entire season thus far, which is 112th in FBS. Not very good. But Notre Dame has allowed 30, which is 93rd in the country, as you mentioned before. SC's averaging 3.6 rushes of 10 plus yards per game. Notre Dame's defense giving up six per game. What do you say? I want to say USC's running game is capable of of getting the over there, but uh, I don't trust USC's. I don't trust Graham Harrell. I don't trust Clay Hilton. I don't trust USC's offensive line. I don't trust anything about this team on the road. So um, yeah, I'm gonna go under on this just because I don't think USC is going to run the ball enough to get the under. I wouldn't be surprised if they're right around four on that. I'm feeling bold. I'm gonna take the over. The reason that I'm going over. And this is me going out on a limb. I get it. What have we not seen much this year? Jet sweeps. They're due to have a jet sweep. Gain 10 yards. They're due. They're due. Maybe they've been saving it for another day. Back against the wall. You're three on two in the season. Like, this is the time to do it. Get Bayless Jones in there. Give it to Amon Ra. Somebody. Give them an opportunity to potentially... Gain 10, 10 yards. 10 yards. Hey, it's all Graham, it needs to gain. Graham Harrell said that they want to get Keenan Kristen and his speed involved yeah, at some but the, point. Yeah, the way Graham Harrell talked about Keenan Kristen, it very much felt like a November call-up situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But keep an eye out, though, because the way that Graham Harrell talked about Keenan Kristen was the way that Graham Harrell talked about Keenan Slovis, where his eyes lit up. They want to get him involved. They're just not going to burn his red shirt to do it. Right. Yeah. Maybe, but I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over there. Uh, next one, what do you got? Uh, staying with the rushing game, and back to my skepticism, rushing attempts for USC. So I'm setting it at 39.5. The only time USC has run the ball more than 40 times is against BYU. And uh, Notre Dame is actually, in three of their five games, they've faced a team that ran the ball 40 or more times. So is USC going to just go in on the run? Or do what we expect, or what I expect them to do, and not. I'm taking the over. Uh, and the reason I'm taking the over is this is going to be a little foreshadowing to what I'm one of my over-unders later on in this thing. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of plays in this game. Uh, and the reason for that, I mean, the, it, the eventually reason... Eventually, USC's got to run the, the number of plays that we think they are, right? Like, right. eventually... And SC is not... 
they've been in the 60s. They were like 54 plays against Stanford, right? Like, there's going to be more plays in this game, I think. Uh, I, I don't think this is going to be a slow plotting game. Uh, slow and prodding, whatever it is. Plotting. Uh, plotting, there it goes. Uh, game, but I still think that there'll be a lot of plays in this game and SC will be able to get to 40. I I would be very happy. I'm I'm going a little bit pessimistic here just because uh, USC on the road, I've been burned. But if if they were up above forty, I think that would be a very good sign. It it would. I don't know that it, I would say that it was a good sign though because they the reason they ran forty times against BYU is because they couldn't pass. Well, they ran forty times against BYU because they didn't because 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 they were facing a five man box and they really should have run better. Sure, but. But I have some but I potential. But Slovis was also a little timid in that game. Well, that Keaton was maybe reading the handoff, where I think Fink wasn't reading the handoff where he should have been that's against uh, against Washington. I'll give you that. And speaking of Keaton, that's going to take me to the next over under that I got, and we're doing passer rating again. Over over under a passer rating of a hundred and forty one point seven eight. That was his passer rating against BYU. Notre Dame has allowed 150.02 to Jake Fromm and 141.1 to Bryce Perkins. Uh, keep in mind that last year, JT Daniels' passer rating against Notre Dame was 136.5, which would get the under in this case. Uh, but that was the second best performance of anybody against the, against the Fighting Irish last year. Only Trevor Lawrence at 157 had a better passer rating than uh than JT Daniels and that was in the Cotton Bowl uh in the playoffs. So over under 141.78 for Keaton Slovis. That's this is tough because I think it'll probably be somewhere in the like if I would to guess I would say it was like 139. So I'm going to take the under on this not because I think he's going to be significantly under but because I think it's more likely that he'll be in the 130s than in the 140s. He can still have had a good game in the 130s. I'm so torn on this because I think Keaton Slovis's specialty is to have a high passer rating because he's very efficient in terms of completion percentage. He's averaging like 78% completion percentage right now. Uh, like he is very good at that. Uh, and that's plus um, yards per attempt uh, and touchdowns and interceptions. Like those things are what, what factor into passer rating. And completion percentage is a huge factor in that. So I think even, like, you look at BYU, like, 141.78 is still pretty decent, right? And that was against BYU in a game in which we would say that Keaton Slovis struggled. He threw, he threw three interceptions. So I want to say it's over. But at the same time, I think that you've got a point that, like, it could be in the, the, the 130s and it could still be a very similar game for him. I mean, look at JT last year. He was at 136.5. He threw for the most yards that Notre Dame allowed all season. Uh, the difference being he didn't throw any touchdowns. Um, I kind of see that in this game, too. Give me the under. Only slight. Ah, see? You faked me out. I had written over for you. You had. You had. And I might look back at this longingly and... Sadly, <laughs> later, but I'm yep. taking the under. Yep. 
All right, my next over under is 2.5 sacks for USC. Uh, it's an old one, but a good one. Uh, it's just interesting the way the USC sack numbers work out. They had three against Fresno State, Stanford, and BYU. They had two against Utah and UW. Uh, Notre Dame has given up six in their five games. I don't know the breakdown of that because CFB Stats doesn't give us the game-by-game breakdown on that, which annoys me. But, uh, but still, Notre Dame hasn't given up a ton of sacks. USC has been quite consistent in their sacks, but are they going to be on the good upper side of the three, or are they going to be on the lower side of the two? Notre Dame's only given up six, seven sacks all year. That's it. That's a easy under for me. Easy under. I'm actually feeling bold in this one area. I'm going over. Uh, I don't think it'll be much more than three, but I, I, I kind of feel the three. They're due for another three game. They they could not get to, uh, to Jacob Eason. That often. I thought Jacob Eason was very good in the pocket at evading sacks, but in book, a little slipperier than Jacob Eason, which which says something there. So that's why. Well, Christian Rector has been playing on a bum ankle, so he's had the the bye week to get healthier. Drake Jackson is another week more experienced. And I think you can always pop up with a Marlon Tupelotu or J. Tufele sack at some point. USC keeps getting close and, and not quite getting there. So um, Ian Book being a little bit more slippery might make him more bold in terms of how long he holds the ball, where I thought Jacob Easton did a really good job of just getting rid as soon as he was in trouble. That's fair. I, I just, I need to see it first. I, I, I wouldn't bet on that. Uh, let's go to my last one, last over under, 69 and a half. Nice. Offensive plays for USC. The Trojans are averaging 67.4 per game. But that is the weirdest average of all time because they just haven't been there. Uh, they they had 78 against Fresno State, 79 against Stanford, but then those are the only two times they've gone more than 65. Like we said, they had 54 against, uh, against um, who was it, Utah. Utah, they had 54. So can they get to 69.5? Can they get to 70? Uh, Notre Dame's defense is allowing exactly 70. Louisville had 75, New Mexico had 75, Virginia had 72, and Bowling Green had 69, nice, uh, and Georgia had 59, which is a little bit lower. But all right in that ballpark, can USC get to 70 plays, over under 69.5 offensive plays? I don't really have a reasoning behind this, but I'm going to take the over just because, like I said earlier, USC has, they intend to run more plays. Like that they've that they're averaging sixty seven right now is because they've had an abnormally low number of plays. So I am gonna go with the over just because they're due. They're due for another game above seventy. That's where I'm at too. I, I'm at that plus Notre Dame's consistency in you know, teams having in the low seventies puts me at the over here. I, I think SE gets over. It might be just just over, but they'll 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 be over. Yep, I agree. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, that's four of the over-unders that were, were differing there. Uh, not six, like like our, our pal Jake would hope, but close. Four. Um, let's get to game predictions. Bill Connolly says Notre Dame by 9.1 points with a scoreline of the Fighting Irish 34, USC 25. Vegas has the Irish by 11. Alicia, what is your score? 
I am going Notre Dame 33, USC 22. Uh, I think that Vegas uh, is correct with that 11-point spread. And uh, what it comes down to is one too many times I have trusted USC on the road. They are who we know they are. They will be bad on the road. I think that USC's USC's defense will give up um USC's defense will give up 24 points proper and a combination of offensive and special teams mishaps will conspire to make sure that Notre Dame gets above 30 points and USC's offense will not match that. Is there a safety in here? Uh why not? Let's throw a safety in there. Okay. Uh I am going to say I, I've talked about how I, I don't think Notre Dame is infallible. I, I think SC has a chance in this game, but that SC has a chance only if you're willing to assume that they fix their problems, which they're really not. I don't think anyone's comfortable in saying that they they fix their problems. Um, so take that for what it's worth. I think this game plays out a lot like the Washington game, a lot like it. The difference being, I think SC cannot possibly have a game where they get in the red zone that many times and leave with zero points. And so I, I see the game going almost exactly identical, but we had the, we had the conversation. What happens if Keaton Slovis or JT Daniels is the quarterback? And I said, I was very confident in which very confident to say that they, those quarterbacks would score one more touchdown. They would have the possibility to score the two more touchdowns, to tie or win the game, but I was confident they would have one. And I think that's what my scoreline is here. Notre Dame 27, USC 21, the Trojans cover. The The interesting thing here, and, and what has bothered me is, I, I don't care what USC does on defense, mostly because I completely expect them to hold every team in the, in the 20s like we've talked about. So I... No matter who it is, that's just maybe I'm putting too much faith into that, but perhaps, right? But Notre Dame is 100% in red zone conversions. They've had 17 touchdowns and three field goals. My scoreline either says that they miss an extra point or they uh, they settle for two field goals. I don't know that that's going to happen, uh, but that's what I'm predicting. 27-21, which would have been the score last week if, you know, it was very close to the score last week because Washington had scored 27 points. The reason they had 28 is because they went for two, right? So it's very close. 27-21. I'm over-talking. over-talking. You're, yeah, you're, I'm you're overthinking a score prediction that you're not going to get uh, right anyways. I mean, you're, you, I'm, you I'm could get the result. Just in case I do. You could get the result correct, but the likelihood of you getting the actual score correct is very low, so... I don't put that much thought into it. <laughs> you are guaranteeing that I get it right just by saying that. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, you put a lot of thought into, like, your actual score. I just go with whatever numbers look good, and we're right on our scores probably the same so what number do you say of times. 33 and 22 are visually pleasing numbers. Absolutely. That is the only reason I chose those. I decided the margin, and then I decided on visually pleasing numbers. Why is 33 visually pleasing? It's it's like numeric alliteration. Three three. Hmm. Two two. I prefer six six six, but uh, we'll be right back. We'll go to the mailbag and come back. You've got mail. 
All right, Alicia, before we get into the mailbag, I've got a question for you, uh, which is a perfect uh, plug for one of our latest Patreon shows that we did over the bye week, uh, in which we just interviewed each other and asked us, asked each other questions, uh, which, which was fun. It was kind of like we're allowing the listeners to get to know each other, but also allowing ourselves to get to know each other more, which was weird, but weirdly enjoyable. So listen to that if you've got 90 minutes in hearing us talk about uh, Alicia's experience with Jim Caviezel at a Christmas party at a Christmas party uh, and experiences in like a f- funny thing not not anything you know it was, it was Jesus, a pleasant Jesus interaction talking about. yeah uh, yeah anyways that's on Patreon patreon.com slash random Troy but uh, the random question I have for you in this is that in game five of the NLDS yesterday the Braves gave up 10 runs in the top of the first inning they ultimately lost 13-1. to 1. If you, Alicia, were a Braves fan, at what point would you have considered leaving the game? When the game is over. You would have stayed the entire time. You stayed... If you're going to a playoff game, you absolutely should, should go in knowing that you are... Win or lose, regardless of how ugly it gets, you are staying for the whole game. Now, from a personal perspective, I have serious, like, FOMO fear... So if mm-hmm. I went to that game and the comeback happened and I left early, like the thought of leaving early, if a comeback were the unlikely event of a comeback, would definitely keep me in my seat. But when you go to a, like you're going to a playoff game, like sit sit through the whole thing. Like why are I, you there if you're willing to leave that early? <laughs> I am with you 99.9% of the time. I do not believe in leaving early. I've only left a USC game early uh twice in my life once was to go to a school competition i had in high school i had to leave at halftime uh, i was really actually i left in the second quarter the washington game in 2006 uh the other one was i left early the last ever game i watched in the stands 2014 usc and ucla at the rose bowl i left i think you can leave early only under one two circumstances weather there's some weird weather situation or two you see that that your team has given you nothing absolutely nothing and there's no shot of a comeback like just nothing and i think that if i was a Braves fan in this game i wouldn't leave in the first inning because you can absolutely score more than 10 runs uh if you haven't even come to the plate but like by the 5th inning 6th inning when it's 13 to nothing mm, and and the big boppers go through and don't do anything, I think I'm leaving strictly because they, they gave you nothing. They gave you nothing. Uh, if it was 13 to three, I would stay. No, if I'm, if I paid for a playoff ticket, I don't, I, 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 like I, I paid, said, I paid I for the hours you. of sitting in that stadium. And I'm gonna sit in that stadium. I I I agree. I just think that like this is a rare situation where it would be granted to leave early. Nope. All right. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from Cameron. Hey, Ray and Troy. Cameron from Frisco, Texas. I just first wanted to give you an update. Finally went to Hutchins Barbecue. Um, you guys were right. Michael was right. Alicia was right. The moist brisket was the best brisket I've ever had in my life, and that was the best barbecue I've ever had as well. It's completely delicious. So good. 
Um, I actually have two questions for you guys. One is the first question is on this in quotes high tempo offense. So um, been watching this USC team for almost halfway through the season, and I have seen no tempo unless we are down by two scores and we're down to the last few minutes of the game. That's when we decide to finally play high tempo offense. Where is this preached high tempo offense? that Graham Harrell and Clay Helton have been talk- telling us about. I feel like this is just a bunch of diarrhea in the mouth, and it's a lot of bullcrap because they basically, the whole offense just stares at the sideline, just like the team on Dombo offense, and just waits for the play for 10 to 15 seconds, and then they call it, and then they run the play with about five seconds left on the play clock. So give me a reason to believe, or I don't know, is there a high-tempo offense? I don't think there is. I think it's still the gumbo offense from Team R. It's just like, Graham, it's just, it's just the only difference is, is that we just throw the ball more. That's it. Second question, it's all about the Pac-12. So, um, the Pac-12 has been very, let's just say, very competitive within each other, that everyone is just beating up each other, that every single team in the Pac-12 has at least one loss, and there is no – way that the Pac-12 will probably get into the college football playoffs. So we always talk about how Larry Scott tries to um, market that the Pac-12 is full parity and that he wants parity in the Pac-12. Um, do you feel like he's getting it? Do you feel like he's satisfied with it? Because at the grand scheme of things, Pac-12 is terrible. Amongst the Power 5 conferences, the Pac-12 is ranked fifth. Terrible. Dead last. What can we do as fans to be more supportive of the Pac-12 and be more optimistic coming in the future? Do you feel like a coaching change or a new athletic director at the USC program can hopefully flip the script around for Larry Scott? And remember that all Pac-12 problems can all be blamed on Larry Scott. Thank you very much. Fight on. Fight out. Beat the Irish. Thanks for the call, Cameron. I'm so glad, so glad you got to go to Hutchins. And even happier, even happier that the wreck paid off. Nothing is it makes a, a human being in 2019 happier than recommending a restaurant or a YouTube video and having that person like it, right? Like, nothing gives me more joy. Uh, the other, other things give me joy, not going to lie, but those are very, very good moments. Very good moments. Mm. And, and when you don't like the YouTube videos that I recommend, I get very, very butthurt. You do. You absolutely I do. do. Yes. Um, I had the, the, the pleasure of having and you got to sort of have the the connectivity to this because you introduced me to Cody Co and then I introduced a friend we of mine saw to Cody at the Co. Stanford game weirdly. Yeah, weirdly, randomly. Uh and I introduced a friend of mine to Cody Co this this past weekend and it was a hit. And so like I was living vicariously through her, you were li- living vicariously through me living vicariously through her. It was great. Now I just am craving Hutchins. Like 1000% like I just want some brisket. I've already booked a flight to Dallas in December. I'm already going to Hutchins. I already oh, got planned. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Um, what were the, okay, my mind is now just on brisket. So Cameron's mm, questions had brisket. to do with oh the up tempo offense. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so this is where it gets tricky because you have to sort of uh, pull apart the expectations uh, that were realistic and ones that were like ones things that we read into versus things that were actually promised um i'm not sure that graham harrell's offense was ever billed as a sort of up-tempo high-paced offense i think that it was billed as having the possibility the capability of doing that and that they might do it that they might do it 
um, they might deploy that kind of strategy. I don't think that Gramaharrell ever really promised a high-tempo attack in the identity of what USC's offense would be, as opposed to the capability of what USC's offense could be. Now, having said that, I think that we have seen a lot less up-tempo than I thought we would. Uh, USC does a tempo period every week. You know, on on Wednesdays, they do a tempo period. And so you'd like to see them deploy it more often, uh, more strategically, take advantage of it. But they haven't really. So, like, I think Cameron's complaint is valid, but also um, the expectations of seeing sort of this high tempo attack uh, were maybe a little bit uh, the assumptions of people who heard Air Raid and thought, you know, Mike Leach, which is definitely not what Graham Harrell ever promised us. Yeah, but I completely get the frustration. I mean, when you look yeah. back at the Washington game, how slow the offense was in the fourth quarter, it was just like the Cotton Bowl. Like, where's the urgency? You, you well, don't have to be much... a team that, 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 you don't have to run the Oregon blur to have urgency. You know what I mean? How much of that, I wonder, is the quarterbacks, like, and I know that I'm throwing this out there and never going to get a real answer for this, but like, if JT Daniels was the quarterback, would we see it more if they had, you know, is is this because they have first time quarterbacks, you know, I don't young think guys? so, because the whole thing about Keaton Slovis is that he knew the offense. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm just sort of throwing out possibility. I don't know. I don't know. And, and then in terms of Larry Scott stuff, I still go to the ultimate bearer of responsibility on all of this is Larry Scott's boss. Who is that? That's the presidents of it's well the Pac-12 CEOs and the presidents of the universities. They're the ones who who pay the who who pay his wages. They're the ones who sign off on everything that he does. So yeah, I think that you know th- there's plenty of things that he he's done to create a conference that is not up to par. Uh, but at the same point, I, I don't think it's Larry Scott's fault that Washington is laying an egg at Stanford. Like, why is Washington not going to the playoff? Because they laid an egg at Stanford. That's not his fault. It's not Larry Scott's fault that that Oregon blew a, you know, double-digit lead to Auburn on the road. That's why uh, That's why people are saying that the Pac-12 might not go to the playoff. So, I don't know. I, 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 think, that, I think that Larry Scott has takes the blame for all of the TV stuff, 100%. All the revenue stuff, 100%. When it comes to the play on the field, I for me, I just I can't I can't blame Larry Scott because I, there's a lot of good coaches in the conference that are not pulling their weight, and it's not Larry Scott that's telling them not to do that. Yeah, and and the way to support the Pac-12 as a as a fan is to put pressure on your your president, put pressure on your AD, put you know, send in a letter, you know, call the athletic department. What I I mean, I don't know how much those those call your work. congressman. Yeah, call your write your congressman. I mean, unfortunately, the the power brokers in all of this are the people who are the the big, 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 big time donors. And I'm guessing that most of the people who listen to this show are not the big, 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 big time donors. But you know, if you let your voice be heard, wait, are you, you saying Ronald Tudor doesn't listen to the podcast? You know what? He might be. He might be a robot for all we know. But uh, we we don't necessarily know that. Cannot hey, confirm. If you're listening, Mr. Tudor, I know you've got like. 84 buildings on campus with your name on it just put one and just like your next building just call it the like reign of troy pavilion there you go yeah that's all i'm saying 
Uh, it's good to email email from Brandon in San Diego. Hello, Michael and Alicia. My name is Brandon from San Diego. You guys are right. This season feels really like last year. I just read the article Alicia wrote on RadioTour.com about moving on from Clay Helton. I remember when Pat Hayden hired Clay to be the full-time head coach a couple years ago. At first, I didn't like the choice. But I remember that I had to convince myself in liking the hire. I told myself at the time, well, if the Dabo experiment at Clemson is working out, why can't Clay do the same thing here at USC? And I remember when Pete Carroll was hired, he wasn't our first choice, and most fans didn't want him to be the coach. And look how that ended up, with two national championships and Heisman Trophy winners. Well, now I know, as much as I like Clay Helton as a person, I just can't help to think that USC should move on from him, despite having a good record at the end of the season. Uh, I know Urban Meyer comes with a lot of baggage, but honestly, I feel like he can take us to the promised land. Imagine Urban Meyer at head coach, with Graham Harrell as OC, and either Charlie Strong, pretty sure he'll be fired by USF, by the end of the season, or Chris Ash as DC. Anyone is better than Baxter for special teams. That would be such a better group of coaches than the one we have now. I don't know. That's just my opinion. What are your guys' thoughts? Fight on. Brandon in San Diego. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've talked a lot about our feelings on, on the Clay Helton hire, on the future of the program with Clay Helton, all of those things. Um, I think I think that Urban Meyer could do a good job. There's just a lot of a lot of things that are uh, coming into play as far as the viability of that, and I think that's what makes it really difficult. Is is the viability like the viability of the concept of Urban being hired in the first place, keeping Graham Harrell on as an OC, Graham Harrell deserving to be kept on as an OC, convincing Charlie Strong to 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 come in and and or Chris Ash to come in as this DC, like these feel a little bit pipe dreamy. If USC gets a new athletic director who hires Urban Meyer, would that be the director of urban development? <laughs> oh, but I'm tish. I'm going to go to the next email before I opine about this, just because our next email from Jay in Atlanta also includes Urban Meyer. So I think we can lump them together here. Uh, he says, uh, Michael and Alicia, as you know, I have listened to the podcast for quite some time. I've also done my part to spread the word, so to speak, about you guys to friends and even others via social media. Thank you for that. That's nice. Uh, I have defended you here and there, and I have watched you grow. However, I will admit I took a hiatus during and after last season because I couldn't stomach any measure of pro-Helton and company rhetoric. I even stopped listening to, to or reading anything Dan Weber had to say because, honestly, in my opinion, it was always the same. Oh, the defense looks improved. This looks great. That guy looks great. They could be dot, 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 and so on, whoop-dee-woo. Then the season begins, and it becomes painfully obvious quick, very quickly this program is nowhere near competing at the level which should be the standard for USC football. At which point does everyone admit that Urban Meyer as head coach, with a staff of his choosing, immediately places the program on the correct football trajectory and sells out the Coliseum every week. And miss me with the leftist agenda shenanigans. He is a man of faith that has committed no crimes, is old school, and highly competent at his craft. As you know, I was a Dino Babers guy before anyone really considered him as a possible candidate. I still am. 
but at least the half decade has put us so far behind, we need to turn things around sooner rather than waiting the next five years. In my opinion, fight on for victory, Jay in Atlanta. No, thanks for the email, Jay. Um, I think that the the argument against Urban Meyer is not football reasons. Um, the argument against Urban Meyer is people who uh, who I think have a valid concern about the way that he handled his staff at Ohio State and the values that that he. Um, Can I just say that, like, I don't. I, I don't buy into it as leftist agenda shenanigans. Like, the reason people don't want Urban Meyer is because of things like family values, and there's nothing more conservative than family values. I, I'm just like, yeah. the, 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 the things here about Urban Meyer are have less to do with Urban Meyer and more to do with what USC needs to be selling. USC needs to be selling that it is a nice, safe place with no controversies because SC has not shown that they have that. And so that's the argument against Urban Meyer. It's less about him. Right. But, uh, but I think that if, if Urban Meyer didn't have the track record he had at Florida as well, uh, it sure. would be easier for people to write off the whole... Right. Uh, the, it's the, both the, of those things. Yeah, it's both of those things. It's the general perception. And I... I don't necessarily, I, I'm more an at issue with the optics than with the actual substance of the thing, which I think Jay is probably referring to that it's not a, that the substantive complaint, um, while I understand why some people, uh, are concerned about it personally, I don't think that it's a disqualifying thing on a Red Myers record, uh, the, the whole Zach Smith thing. I think it's an an ugly uh, part of his history for sure, but I don't think it's a disqualifier because I un I can put myself in Urban Meyer's shoes and understand where he might have been coming from in that whole thing, uh, even while not excusing him. Uh, but the the fact of the matter is that Urban Meyer would come in and give USC immediate legitimacy, absolutely immediate legitimacy from a football perspective. It's just that USC doesn't have the like USC doesn't get the benefit of the doubt that it would take for me to say that, yeah, that's the right move also. And I think this is something that I don't think us that I think USC fans and people are brushing over a little bit too easily. Who is to say that urban Meyer actually wants to coach at USC or that he's healthy enough to coach? Well, a, that he's healthy enough to coach. Cause again, like you said, remember he retired because of health issues along with the whole uh, with the whole scandal but also you right. do you remember the 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 video clips that were coming out of him on the sideline looking awful. like his brain was about to explode his health concerns are real uh however much you want to attribute them to to the re- the reality of him retiring they are real whether or not he wants to work again but there's another thing that i think people are disregarding too is if i'm if i'm urban meyer i'm not sure that usc is the job i want to take to come back a USC athletic department that is under investigation for for football and academic things, uh, a USC uh, university that is um, paying off a lot of different lawsuits and may not have the cash to splash on the football side of things, a USC athletic department that is that we know is understaffing its support staff, that is not investing heavily in the football program. If I'm Urban Meyer. 
and I have the opportunity to go to Michigan if if Michigan moves on from John Harbaugh or or Notre Dame if the Notre Dame rumors come up ever you know again or or any of those like if I'm Urban Meyer I'm not in a rush to come to USC and I know that's a hard pill to swallow but like people I think are assuming automatically that Urban Meyer would jump at the chance to coach at USC and I don't know if that's the case and I don't and I think that in order to make it the case USC would have to be. 1000% in on Urban Meyer. And I don't know that USC is in a situation where they can be, even if they are interested in Urban Meyer, I don't think they can be 1000% so far in that they break the bank to bring him in, to force his hand, to give him not even a choice. Like that's not the way that USC operates. Yeah. You mentioned optics earlier. And I think that to me, that's what it comes down to is that I think you can absolutely talk yourself into reasons to hire him. And I get it. I I get everything you're saying. But it's so much easier to do that when you're at a school that has not had a horrific, you know, history of controversy in the last five years. And the whole point of of uh, of Kara Folt is to come in here and to clean up the issues. You don't clean up the issues by hiring some guy who has had controversy. Whether or not that controversy is, has merit or not, like that, that's beside the point. Uh, it's the optics of it, um, and I, I, I get, I get the concern there. And and yes, absolutely. As a fo- as a football coach, I've said on this podcast before, I think he's better than Nick Saban. So like, I, I think that he could come in here to USC and win one hundred percent. But there's also another guy who's won a national championship that's available. Uh, that's quote quote-unquote retired and it's Bob Stoops Bob Stoops doesn't have the bad optics around him go after Bob Stoops make Bob Stoops the guy you throw all your money around not Urban Meyer that's my opinion I think that's totally fair and I think it's interesting that all of the speculation is around Urban Meyer and none of it's around Bob Stoops when they would be in similar positions and you know we just saw Mac Brown come out of retirement um to, to take over UNC. So it's not like it hasn't, it couldn't happen. Bob Stoops is still quite young. So, right. and you know, Bob are... Stoops hired Lincoln Riley. So he knows how to staff. I, I think the dream scenarios uh, for USC, I think, should be hiring Bob Stoops and he brings Bill Bedenbaugh from Oklahoma. <laughs> that would be awesome. But again, all of this. All of this, okay, so for instance, we just had the whole discussion about Notre Dame and how USC could be Notre Dame if everything goes right, except that I'm not going to buy into that because I know what USC is on the road, and so I'm not going to get burned by that again. A lot of these conversations about the head coach involve people putting their hand on a stove and then saying, it's not turned on, it's fine, I'm not going to burn my hand off. We know what USC is. Like, why are we expecting USC to suddenly throw its weight around? When has USC ever thrown their weight around? When USC has a, a great coaching hires because they get lucky and they hire a failure of a coach in Pete Carroll and he turns out to be amazing at the college level. Right. You, you know what I'm expecting? Uh, if Carroll Fold is someone who's going to who's gonna encourage looking outside the box, like outside the boxes and outside of USC people and encourage hiring someone who's qualified, but also someone who doesn't have controversy. I kind of expect USC in the next hire to go after someone in the middle tier. Because then you combine USC's lack of ultimate, you know, ambition with Carol Fultz's 
um, mindset, at least the, the one that we assume her mindset is. Uh, and then you put those together and you end up with like a Kyle Whittingham. That's that's kind of how I see it. Not necessarily yeah. Kyle Whittingham, but someone in that in that tier. But not Which, an Urban Meyer. Yeah, that's kind of how I see it. I, I think that's the most realistic thing. Uh, the hope would be that she does that and she's like, uh, she's not the person that's going to hire this person, but uh, the the coach, the, the athletic director, uh, but certainly she'll have a say. So will the, the board of trustees, all those people. Um, and but the hope would be that they settle on someone like Matt Rule or, or Matt Campbell, who is supposed to be the next Urban Meyer, right? That is the hope uh, for USC, and then they come to USC, and then they're here for the next twenty years. Because if Urban Meyer comes to SC, he's here for five. He's not here for fifteen. I, I think five ideally you want to hire a coach for the next fifteen. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's move on to a Patreon message we got from Michael in Texas. Any chance you could give an 86 alum who lives in Texas some gauge on attending the UCLA game next month, taking my wife and son to the game and wonder about parking or mass transit, how soon to arrive, getting into the stadium, what goes on campus before games, etc. I'm thinking of staying at the Hotel Figueroa in LA. Any and all help you guys can give would be greatly appreciated. I love these kind of questions because... You know me, Alicia. I'm a, I'm a planner. I like planning events, planning trips, planning trips mostly, planning trips. That's my thing. That's the thing that I love. So I love telling people about this kind of stuff. So if you stay at the Hotel Figueroa, it's actually perfect because you're right on the Expo Line route. You can walk from the Hotel Figueroa to the Expo Line uh, and take the Expo Line, uh, the train, to the Coliseum and... Take it right there to campus, and then you can hang out on campus before the game. A ton of tailgating on campus, ton of tailgating in the Coliseum, or at the Coliseum parking lots, uh, and then in Exposition Exposition Park. I like the campus vibe a little bit more than anything else, Um, but that that varies on on everybody. I think that if it's your first time, or your first time going, obviously you're an alum, not a first time, but first time going in a a long time, and taking a wife and son and all that, you got to go on campus. Well, because campus has Tommy changed Trojan. so much. If you, if you haven't been back to yeah. campus for a while, you it's should check different. out how much it's changed. Yeah, there's a big shiny clock now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot there's a more lot than just a big shiny clock. Yeah, the, there's the Harry Potter building where Annenberg yeah, is. there you yeah. go. A uh, lot of things have changed. So go see uh, Tommy Trojan. You, you, you want to go, I, I think... One thing that I always did with with my dad was seeing the band play. We used to follow the band from Heritage Hall all the way into the Coliseum. You don't have to do that. Uh, But the band plays right in front of Bovard uh, about an hour and a half before the game. Uh, Go see them. Go see about an hour, an hour and a half before the game. Go see the band there and then walk with everybody from Bovard to the Coliseum. It is a fun time, super festive. Uh, and especially for a UCLA game, I think there'll be a lot of people there, obviously, uh, and I'll have a good, a good vibe, but yeah, I wouldn't drive or, or park if you're going to stay at Hotel Figueroa, take the expo line for sure. Yep. All good advice, in my opinion. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, uh, we have more questions to answer for our patrons that is going to be in the, uh, pregame Q and a over on Patreon. So we will get to those. In that episode, as always, you can get to our Patreon content 
at patreon.com slash reign of troy for 555 a month you get all of our bonus content and help support the show for 10 bucks a month you get all our bonus content and access into our slack channel talk to us 24 7 as much as you want uh, especially on game days it is a hell of a time so uh that's what we got phone number 213-373-1872 email address reignoftroyatfansite.com last thing to mention i didn't even mention it shout out to la fred completely dominated the picks last week we didn't talk about the pickums, but he completely dominated and scantily clad peristyle is no longer in first place what? Yeah, I think it's the Labrea Tar Pit Bulls that oh, are in first. I do like Labrea Tar Pit Bulls uh, as a name. So it's a good name. I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yep. All right. I had a bad week. I, I think a lot of people did. But, yeah. Uh, anyways, that'll be it for us in this episode. Uh, at least you got a final word? The final word is brisket. Mm. As in, I really want some brisket. Brisket. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.